Welcome to Recipes for Success. This is a podcast that is hosted by myself, Annie DeGroote, and Katie Porter, both members of the Epivax team here in Providence. And we have special guests, uh, Amy Rosenberg, also Epivax employee, Sophie Trudeau, and Vibhajawa. And now they're going to introduce themselves. Amy? You're on mute, Amy. <laughs> Hi. Yes, I recently joined Epivax after working for 33 years at the FDA and before that at NIH and I'm delighted to be participating uh, in, in this uh, podcast. And um, I think the, the most salient thing I have to say is that I went into science and research after um, uh, doing a medical doing my medical training because I realized if you can't think like a scientist, there's really not much you can do for people who have diseases that are not successfully treated. So you have to be able to think like a scientist to move things forward. Great. Thank you, Amy. Sophie? Hi, I'm Sophie Tourdeau. I am French and I moved to the US uh, four years ago to come and work for a big pharma company, which was one of my dreams. And I am based in the Boston area and I'm loving it. Great. Thank you for joining tonight. Viva? Hi. Hi, Annie. Uh, and thank you uh, both Annie and Katie for inviting me to this podcast. I'm looking forward to it and many more. Um, I uh, am Indian, uh, East Indian by origin, and uh, I came to this country 23 years ago to University of Pennsylvania, and I have just been uh, the most happy, happy person doing a lot of different kinds of research, starting with gene therapy, going into biotech, and coming back now full circle to gene therapy. So awesome. I, I, I love everything which I do, and of course, I made a lot of friends on the way. So, and I'm talking to a few of them right now. <laughs> great, great. Katie, you want to give you a little bit of your background? Sure, very nice, Viva. Um, my name is Katie Porter. I'm uh, the business development manager at Epivax. I uh, have been for five years now. And prior to that with uh, another large pharma uh, and jumped from a, a large pharma on the bench top to a small company uh, and uh, doing business development. So it's been quite a change, but a very welcome change. Uh, and getting to uh, make friends with many people in the industry, like everyone here on the on the line. Great. So recipes for success. The concept about this podcast is that we'll be talking about food because we some of us love to cook, and so we'll be talking and cooking and having a chat over a glass of wine. We all have picked our beverage of choice and we are here in the, in the kitchen, which is where we often have these types of conversation. And the goal is actually to have a conversation maybe once a month uh, so that you, if you're participating and listening, you can hear what four or five friends talk about who are women in the biotechnology space, what it's like to be a scientist in that space, what it's like to be in the commercial space, what it's like to be um, engaged and interested in science in that space and we'll also of course talk about cooking. So I'm cooking tonight and I'll talk a little bit about what I'm making in a minute but uh, the other topics that we're going to cover are uh, vaccine mandates because we happen to be in a period of time when many of us are getting back to work 
So I thought it'd be really interesting to start with that topic since um, we know what Epivax has done for vaccine mandates, but we don't know what everybody else has done and what their experience of it is. We can talk about roles of women in biotechnology. I think that will come up in many different ways tonight. And we will also talk about uh, work and family, uh, what it's like to be full-time in biotechnology and working and also having kids and family obligations, older parents that we take care of. There's a lot going on. Kids in college, I think Amy can talk about that. My kids have graduated, thank God. Uh, and some of you have kids that are going to go to college. So we'll be talking about what it's like to be a scientist, entrepreneur, and mother, and a family member uh, and in the pandemic. How about that for topics? We will touch on good things for the COVID experience. Jack, <laughs> you know, you cannot participate in this podcast. That is my dog. His name is Jack, and he loves to comment. <laughs> So uh, the last couple of topics are good things about the COVID experience, bad things about the COVID experience. And I also wanted to see if we could get to the yin and yang of protein structure. Maybe we'll spend a few minutes on that on the end, and then we'll talk about it the next time we get together. So off we go. Um, I am going to start by telling you what I'm cooking tonight. So let me do that. Um, I am making Odo Lenghi's roasted vegetables with bucatini pasta and i made a, a new thing so i think the challenge is let's make something old i've been making this dish for a while but i also made roasted figs with chili pepper dressing so katie and i are going to enjoy that and <laughs> uh let me tell you a little bit because i thought it would be really interesting to share with you what I started with, so um, I have these two items right here. You can see what the one on the <laughs> right or the left, depending on what you're looking at, is a, if you can't see it, it is a celeriac. It's from um, the local market, the farmer's market where I went to yesterday. And they're really ugly objects. They kind of look like hairy green roots. And then if you roast them, they turn into this incredibly wonderful, delicious, um, I don't know what to say. I don't eat meat, but I, I, to me, it's almost like, I guess if I ate steak, maybe it would be like steak. Mm -hmm. So it does take two hours. So I did that before we got together tonight and I've roasted some other vegetables. So I will be roasting. In fact, I'm going to put these in pretty quickly. These are um, some cut up um peppers and zucchini with olive oil and salt. And I will also show you, I've already done the hard ones. These are the roasted um, eggplant and carrots, which have also been roasted in the oven at 450 degrees in olive and salt. Those are all done. And I'm gonna combine everything all together. Um, but while I put these in the oven, maybe we can start with COVID mandates. Katie, do you wanna talk a little bit about um, What's going on at EpiVax in terms of everyone getting tested or vaccinated? Sure, sure. So at EpiVax, uh, obviously being a biotechnology company and heavily uh, in the vaccine space, it's important to us that uh, everyone is, is on board and vaccinated uh, for the health of, of our lab staff, especially during COVID. We had them, uh, they were the only people in the, in the office. 
Uh, so it's very important to keep them safe, but along the way, it's still important to keep everyone safe. So everyone is is uh, is vaccinated. If you have a, a you know a reason not to be, that is something that can be uh, brought up and discussed. Uh, but um, really, uh, everyone is tested regularly and uh, hoping to keep the safest work environment that we can. Yes, we so pretty much everyone because we're scientists decided to get vaccinated on their own. We did have one person peel off because of the vaccine mandate. Uh, we gave people a lot of warning over the summer and we were sad to lose that individual, but I think everyone feels much safer at work because everyone is vaccinated. Uh, during the Delta kind of surge in Rhode Island, we actually started wearing masks again at work because we knew that there was transmission. We did have a lab member actually get infected. She stayed home. Nobody else got infected. And probably we were protected because of the masks and the vaccines. So we're, that's our situation. And, and I think that it is remarkable not to see people uh, getting vaccinated in other places in the country. And I, I was wondering what's happening uh, at your workplaces. Viva, do you want to tell us what's happening with you guys? Yeah, so we have, um, we were told that we are a science-based company, so we need everyone to be vaccinated. And we do have a return to date where we are supposed to come back to work. And, and there is a all of us have been asked to uh, upload our vaccination records because they have they want a proof that we have been given uh, the vaccinations and that's all in our system so whenever we go in you have to of course we badge in so they know we are inside and there's a testing every week so you have to get tested at least once a week whenever you go in if, if you go twice or thrice just once and it's valid for the whole week um, and by November 1st, we actually want everyone who is uh, at coming to work to be vaccinated. And uh, if people can do it, they have to provide a reason if it is health or other reasons, and then it would be evaluated. Uh, so it's um, everyone is mandated to get vaccinated, but there are some exceptions. That you have, you can talk to the HR department about. I guess yes, it's getting uh, it's uh, the HR is getting involved right away because by November um, or October is when we are supposed to come back, and we don't want to put other people uh, in danger or at risk. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so those people who are not able to, they won't be allowed to come in. And by November, they have to be vaccinated. Huh. So what are what are reasons? What are valid reasons for not getting vaccinated? Um, I mean, people talk about religious exemptions, but really there's nothing that's come from any of the major religions regarding that exemption. Um, health, even immune suppressed people are getting vaccinated. They need more doses to, to reach a protective level. But what's a valid reason for not being vaccinated, except for if you get, have allergic responses to things like in the vaccine like PEG? you know, other than anaphylactic type allergic reactions, what's a valid reason? I, I could not get anything from my group, Amy. Uh, it, it's a very good question. And, and when you talk to people, and so we had a mandate or we were not allowed to ask. That was because, you know, you're not allowed to ask anything more than are you vaccinated? 
which is fine, but now they are saying that you need to provide a reason. You can provide it to your manager or you can provide it to the HR. But what I've heard, not from my group at least, or not from my place where I work, it's a lot of interesting kind of hypotheses and conspiracies. And one of them, which is in fact, my neighbor tells me all the time, oh, Microsoft is putting chips in the vaccine and they're going to track us. I mean, that's as, uh, <laughs> can be quite, quite uh, like, you know, it's a conspiracy theory almost. And, and they, are, they believe in it. They, they actually want to say that, why did you do it? Because, you know, now you are tagged for life. So that's the kind of. Tell them their cell phone has them tagged already. Yes. <laughs> They're already tagged by their cell phone. Yeah. I mean, there. Uh, so as far I think, Amy, you answered your own question, but there, as far as religion is concerned, there are no religious organizations that are giving exemptions. The Pope has said that getting a vaccine is an act of love. You know, I, I'm not religious, but I, I think the Pope these days is, is pretty progressive and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but I think that uh, in our experience, what we've encountered are people who are, are afraid of the um, impact on reproductive tissue. And so there's a lot of discussion about how the vaccine changes your menses, which of course does, would be an interesting topic for some research because I think that many vaccines may change your menses. Any kind of stress or immunological stress could actually change your menses. And in fact, we know that when we are stressed as women, we stop menstruating. So, hey, you know, it's not like the end of the world. We start again in a little while. And so it's not the end of the world because we know that uh, people are definitely fertile uh, after being vaccinated. There was even a study, I looked it up because I had to talk to a patient about this, but uh, there was a study of people who were undergoing fertility treatment who got vaccinated and who were fully able to have the embryos implant without any problems. There have also been many, many women who were pregnant. I ran a vaccine site, so... I know that women who were pregnant tolerated the vaccine just fine. And if you look at the reports um, in the CDC website, actually there were no, there was no increase in, um, uh, in problems associated with pregnancy. So premature birth, uh, problems with any kind of, of keeping the pregnancy and carrying it to term. There were, there were no increases in problems with pregnancy. So I think that there was no real issue with fertility. I think that the whole thing about uh, changes in menses and changes in, in your cycle actually does bear investigation. And there is a group in Boston that is investigating that. So, Annie, yeah. Annie, just looking at the other side, what is the risk to pregnant women of getting COVID? compared yes. to getting the vaccine. I mean, you know, that's much more of a threat to a pregnancy or to getting pregnant, it seems to me, and I'm sure you know the studies better than I do, um, than getting COVID. Um, that's always, you know, even, even uh, adverse effects from vaccines like myocarditis, which is pretty rare, are much more common with the disease itself. You know, a risk-benefit analysis is something that has to be done um, for every 
subset of patient and, um, you know, for, for every possible outcome, adverse outcome, and for everyone I've seen, getting the disease incurs a far greater risk than getting the vaccine. Absolutely right. And you know what? Um, let's get back to that thought because I think we should talk about the inflammation that occurs because of COVID and its impact on people's. Hey, Sophie, did, did Pfizer make their vaccine freely available to all employees? <laughs> that would be a good idea. You can't say? Yes, no, I said yes, yes. Now that Amy, you know, said what company I work for, now I can go. <laughs> I can go. <laughs> no, yes, yes, they did. And they even organized for our um, families and anyone living in the same house to be vaccinated as well. So they organized these huge clinics at different sites. And hey, can I just ask you, does, does, does Pfizer have a program um, for making vaccines and getting it to the third world to, you know, to countries that, um, you know, have many, many unvaccinated people? Do they have any kind of special program for that? They, they do through uh, the government. So Pfizer and BioNTech have agreed to produce, I, don't, I think it's 500 million maybe doses. Uh, and sell them a non-profit price for the the U.S. to then participate in that global effort. Very nice. Very nice. I think it's a wonderful time to be in biotechnology because, you know, obviously the company that some of us work for are are actively contributing to improving the lives of people all around the world by making the vaccines available. And I think that's an incredible incredibly positive i think one of the things that people say when they don't want to get the vaccine actually is that they think that the scientists or, or the companies are capitalists and they're just making money and i i'm like i know the scientists who are making these vaccines who develop these vaccines they are not in it for the money they're in it because they this is what we started to do in science we joined the scientific workforce so that we could make a difference in people's lives we are not fundamentally capitalist. That's not why we do these things. We want to contribute. I just, yeah. <laughs> I get so upset when they say that. <laughs> Me too. We too. But it's, it's, um... People think um, the, you know, it looks like they're coming out with a, a virus targeted drug, Merck. Uh, first and several companies. So these are highly specific for coronaviruses. And how is that going to change the mind of, you know, people who are unvaccinated? I mean, to me, that's going to give them further ammunition for saying, I don't need a vaccine. There's a, uh, you know, there's a drug that's not a monoclonal antibody and requires in, you know, in a systemic infusion and such. So I, I'm thinking it's wonderful that this drug has been developed the way it was for hepatitis C, but that's going to cause many more people not to get vaccinated. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, I didn't think about that, Amy, but I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think there will always be people who don't get vaccinated. You know, I think that, but for, if you want to work in the, in the healthcare business, you have to get vaccinated. And I think that that keeps our patients safe. You know, by the way, we get TB tested. We have a whole series of vaccines that we're supposed to actually 
We have a whole series of vaccines that we have to take if we're healthcare workers. We have to show our proof of TB test. We have to show that we've had the German measles uh, or a German measles vaccine so that we don't infect our patients. So COVID is just one of those things. It's gonna be, you know, you have to get vaccinated to work in a healthcare field. And I don't, I think that the whole purpose of, of working in a healthcare field is that we want to protect other people. So that's makes sense to me. I understand in other fields, maybe people don't want to get vaccinated. And yes, this new medication might be helpful for them. And there are some people who, who may not be able to get vaccinated for whatever reason. We don't know yet. The vaccines are free, you know, are new. So as Amy said, maybe it's the peg allergic people who can't get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. At my vaccine site, I have seen people get full body rashes and we did send them to the emergency room just to get evaluated, not that anything bad happened. But we do see people who have some allergies to uh, to PEG or something else in the vaccine that did get a reaction. But we gave out 12,000 vaccines or 13,000 vaccines at our site and I we really didn't see a lot of side effects, at least at the time of the vaccination. So I'm making it just a team. I think I showed you that. So I am creating this, uh, this is a recipe also out of Otolenghi, just so you guys know, and I'll send you the links to the bucatini. These are fresh bucatini from um, Whole Foods. And what I'm gonna do is I'm cook cooking them actually in hot water, of course. And then I'm gonna save the water and you actually put butter in the water and then you add, uh, uh, pecorino cheese and parmesan and it makes this really beautiful sauce you have to whisk it while you're making it and then you pour that on top of the pasta and it's like this really light sauce and I'm going to put that on the side because tonight we're having dinner with my daughter-in-law who actually doesn't eat gluten full pasta so she's brought her own pasta down so we'll have that with the roasted vegetables on the side and then we also I made um I'll show it to you. I roasted, so it's a roasting dinner tonight. I made, um, I don't know if you can see. Oh, <laughs> okay. Maybe I show it to you here. These are that was for the, that was for the gods, Annie. Roasted, roasted figs. For the gods. Okay, <laughs> roasted figs and a little bit of the fig juice went on the, on the stove. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> um, and that goes on top of arugula and it goes with a little spicy chili olive oil that I've made an infusion with. And this is a new recipe. So the challenge actually for the next podcast is for one of us to uh, do something that's old. I've been making roasted veggies for a while. And something new, which is the roasted figs that I'm making tonight. Uh, turns out that Katie loves roasted figs. I so do. I had no idea. I do. Okay. Watch your water. You're going to boil over. Okay. On, <laughs> on to um, other topics. So let's talk a little bit about women in biotechnology. That's on our schedule for tonight. Um, let's talk about what it's like to be a woman in biotechnology. How do you feel, Sophie, in your job at your big pharma company? 
Are you, do you feel supported? Do you feel like you get attention from and, and you're able to lead your team? Do you wanna, maybe you can just talk in generalities if you wish. Yes, honestly, um, I think I'm, I've been very lucky for, I can say the totality of my career. I have never felt like being a woman was an issue. Um, apart from one position where it wasn't so much being a woman, it was being a mother that was being difficult. But as a woman scientist, I've always felt that I was heard and I was listened to the same way. And um, I got the promotion, I got the team. I think I never had any problem with, say, uh, um, male members of a team. Um, so interactions, I've never really felt like I was a woman. I always felt first I'm a scientist. Um, then, yeah, then being a single mom at some point <laughs> complicated everything. But we can, we can come back to that. But for the, the science aspect and um, the environment, the, the, the discussions, I've never felt anything like patronizing, condescending from men or never. So I, I'm very lucky because I know it, it can be extremely different for the women. So we'll come back to the adjustments we have to make around children when we talk about being in biotechnology and having a family. Um, so maybe we could ask Viva if she wants to address uh, what it's like to be a woman in biotechnology and, and you could maybe even talk about things that you're working on to make a better path for younger women. Sure and so Adi uh, I think Sophie was very lucky because she kind of got like a good group. <laughs> So I would say that um, it was not that easy of a path. And um, it's been now 18 plus years since I have been in the biotech sector and I moved from academic into biotech. And so uh, I always wanted to stay in academia, but I came from India, so I was not necessarily allowed to apply for an academic job. So the only way I could stay on and work in research was moving on to the uh, to the biotech sector, which in a way it worked out for me because I was able to still do research. But it was, first of all, when you go from academia into biotech, everyone thinks you're too ideal. Like, oh, you need to work a little bit, but don't worry about delving deeper. So any new thing or any new observation or even trying to think about uh, doing things a bit different or questioning is considered, this is not university of dash dash like wherever you are, this is a, we are making drugs and we have to get to the next level. So those were the kind of responses. However, the only thing I can tell everyone, including if, uh, if the younger scientists, women scientists are listening is make your own group of people who would support you and partner and collaborate. And I was lucky because of my first role, I did collaborate, I think Annie, you know, we started collaborating almost uh, a decade and a half ago, and it just helped me a lot because sometimes when you can't get things done one way, there are other paths which open, and that helped me to take uh, my ideas and uh, partner with others to the next level. And that was one reason I did become more successful 
overall in the place where I was. People did start listen, listening and even though I could not do much myself, there were other partners and collaborators who supported and did that research so you could use that to show proof of concept and take it to that level where it was then used to build a strategy. So I, so I think the bottom line I want to say is that it, it's not easy. People do become patronizing and they also have this mindset that why are you even doing this? You're supposed to go from A to B to Z and just get the drug out. And why do you want to worry about what happened to this person or this patient? And that only comes when you keep your scientific curiosity. And um, I did do that. I ended up in a different role, but I had the same problem. You would come to dead ends and I just went back to my mentors and partners and asked them how to deal with it. And there's also a time when you know you can't get like you, you can't do too much, then you just decide to leave. You don't want to keep on working in an environment where you know it's not going to go anywhere because it's a waste of time in a way because you could take your idea and do it somewhere else and people would listen. So that's what I did after my first job and I went to the second role. I did not want to stay long to convince people. I just went to a place or um, like group of people who knew what uh, they wanted me to do it. And they also wanted to encourage me. So, so I feel good that uh, I'm being listened to and I'm also taking this vision to the next level. That's nice. nice. You know, uh, when you started talking about having people who mentored you along the way, I was actually thinking about Sophie and then we'll come back to Amy. But Sophie, you, you had a recent experience where you got a promotion, but I remember, and, and congratulations on the promotion, by the way, I do remember that you were you called your friends right you called the friends who were on this zoom call to get some some uh, feedback from them about oh, the yeah ab absolutely having the the support and definitely the most support i get and the best advice i get are from my from my um women scientist friends Definitely, because they know how how everything works uh, as a woman as well. On top of you know being a scientist, so yes, I did get some advice. I like chatting about about science mainly. It's great to have friends who work in science and in the same field because we can. It's funny actually how we we start about you know talking about the weather, and then we talk about the dogs, the kids, and then it's, we can't help it at some point. You know, technology <laughs> creeps in, right? And, <laughs> and creeps in. Yes. It's true. So, Amy, do you want to talk a little bit about, did you have experiences where women mentored you? Do you want to share that with us? Uh, sure. Um, I, I would say that, um, you know, I, I've, I've always, up until very recently, worked in the public sector, first at NIH and then at FDA. And NIH... Um, my mentors were, were men, Al Singer, who was absolutely wonderful. Um, and then when I got to FDA, so many of the upper leadership at FDA were women um, and still are. So our acting commissioner now, Janet Woodcock, was the head of the Center for Biologics when I joined FDA um, and Catherine Zoon. And so, you know, women have always been in the hierarchy um, at FDA and, um, you know, very encouraging and, and certainly, 
you know, the, the public sector attitudes towards child care and family care, elder care, et cetera, you know, those have been uh, excellent programs. Um, and, and I think those should be really incorporated across the board, um, you know, and leave transfer, the ability to transfer any leave you've accumulated to somebody who needs it because of childbirth, because of, you know, a sick parent. Um, I think that's a wonderful program. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so leave transfer means that if you have time off and you have a friend who's got a sick parent, you can transfer your leave to them. Correct. Absolutely. Such a, an incredible benefit. And I agree with you totally that that's a really positive um, contribution to the world to be able to do that. And I think that it's the kind of thing that I'm sorry to be very fem feminist about this, but women think about that. How can I help my friend? I have some extra time off. I could give her because she's got to have an operation. She has breast cancer. She, you know, her kids are sick. I can give her my time off. Exactly. No, that's she exactly right. Right. It's unused annual leave, credit hours, whatever you can you can donate to people who need it. So I think you're right. I mean, I think that's an excellent program. I I didn't really know about it until I started working at the free clinic where I work, and uh, it hasn't come up at Epibox, but I think it's a wonderful thing to know about. Do you guys have that at your business? No, uh, I, I don't. I mean, I love it. I mean, I. I would never even have thought something like that existed. And I think I want to bring it up to my management if they would do that. Great idea. They might yeah. have it, but people don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of thing that you might not know about it. Yeah, there may be something on the um, on websites, uh, the NIH and FDA websites about those uh, leave transfer programs. So that would be something you could um, take a look at. So what you see bubbling in one of the screens is actually the pasta. I'm, make, I'm making this um, pacho e pepe sauce, which is uh, you make it with the starch of the pasta, and then you add Parmesan and pecorino. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about the sauce, the, the sauce I'm going to put on the pasta, which is uh, sautéed onions with fresh tomatoes from my back garden and some from the farmer's market, of course, because my back garden has been not been very productive. With the roasted vegetables that I prepared, uh, I showed them to you. There were some roasted eggplants, roasted carrots. Uh, the celeriac is in here. I cut it up into small pieces. And then I have some more roasted peppers that are going to come out of the oven. They'll be hot, and I'll throw them in here, too. So that's what's going on the side of the pasta. Since we have a group of member of the team tonight, we're going to make the pasta that we're making, and she's bringing her own pasta to the table to eat with the rest of vegetables. So that's kind of what we're up to. But what we were talking about was so interesting. So let's go back to family and work. And uh, we were talking about sharing leave at work, which is a, just an incredibly wonderful concept. Everyone should have that benefit at their workplace. To recap what it is, you can actually take your PTO and give it to your colleague at work so that they can take time off that they may need to care for a family member or to have surgery for breast cancer or do chemotherapy for their breast cancer or take care of their child. It's the kind of thing that, you know, it should be at every workplace. 
So we were just talking about the fact that not all of us have that. Now, the other thing to talk about is what is it like to be a woman in biotechnology and to have a full-time job and to even be head of a group, you know, maybe developing vaccines or new biologic products or uh, working at the FDA as a regulator and have kids. I mean, because the reality is that Honestly, uh, you know, I had a pretty good partner and I had, uh, I was married at one point in my life and my partners did share the work, but primarily I was in charge of making sure that the kids had a school to go to, had clothes on their backs, went to school, did their homework, and if they were sick, magically, I was the person who had to go get them and take them home and take care of them. So no matter what I was doing, uh, and if I wasn't there because I was traveling, bad, bad on me, guilt. <laughs> so with that kind of experience, I'm sure that we can all share that. So let's start, start with Sophie. How's it going, Sophie? You have a teenager. So with a teenager, um, things are a lot, a lot easier. The really hard years were the years where I could not leave her alone for even five, 10 minutes. So this was tough because then, yeah, if something happens, you've got to leave work. And I remember at the time in France, and France is really hard, I think, on working moms, not for the, the, the maternity, but then when you return to work, you really can't talk much about your family. Something that I found in the UK and in the US is very different. You can really talk about your family. And, and your boss, most of the time, right? But again, I was lucky. I've always had uh, um, managers in the UK, in the US, they were very understanding. But you can discuss the fact that, yeah, you've got family, you have to go home early, or you have to take a day off because you need to take your kids, wherever. And uh, so back in France, I remember my first job in the biotech after leaving academia. It was really hard because I had to leave, I think I had to leave at 4.30 or 5. And in France, it's just not acceptable. You don't do that. You stay in the office until 7. Even if you're done, you have to pretend you're there because if you leave before 7, you're not committed. You're not engaged. You, do you really like science or you prefer to be a mom? So it was really tough, this first. And she was small. She was... I think she's between three and between three and six. These these three years that I was working for that company, it was really difficult. And now, of course, when she started growing up and being able to stay alone a little bit more, not to have to rely so much on babysitters all the time, and then that was better. And now it is true that the the issues are different. It's not so much that I need to be home, but it's more that I need to have some time to think about her and some time to think about how I'm going to solve her <laughs> with her, the issues that are very different from just, you know, having a bruise or wanting a new doll, or tantrums. So I would say, yeah, it's that and you're happy when you work for a company who's very understanding and it gives you all the space and the flexibility to be a successful working mother. So, Viva? Nice, very nice, Sophie. Um, um, I kind of, some things resonate with me too. And, <clears throat> but even though I would say I got lucky, I, um, I, when I married uh, my husband, 
um, my mother-in-law is lives with us. So even as a when I had my two kids, I have a son and daughter, and um, they used to go. So we had a daycare at my work, which was really a great benefit. Uh, it was super expensive because I think at some point I thought I'm just working and giving all the money to the daycare, but at least I was doing science. <laughs> if you have two kids and you're just giving away everything, but you know, you could go there. I took both of them when they were four months old. So as soon as I got out of my maternity uh, leave, they were both in that uh, daycare and I could go as much as many times in the day to go see them. I could go breastfeed them. I could uh, sit with them. And so that was one of the benefits which I really liked. And, but of course it was a time, both of them were born in August. So they went in October and they got super sick, especially my son because he was the older one. And so he would get sick. He would, I would bring him home. My mother-in-law would make him better. And like two weeks later, he was back in the, um, the camp and then he would get some other infection. But what I think is it, what worked for him is he's very immune robust now because he got so much in his. <laughs> so I treat it as a great immunology experiment. And in fact, my daughter did not get that much sick because she got the immunity, which was passive from me. And uh, for whatever reason, she was more uh, resilient. But, you know, overall, I think, um, I liked the flexibility. I have been lucky that my manager, I don't know about the company, but the manager was very understanding. So uh, I got lucky that they knew that I had to get off. And this was during their elementary school, like yours, Sophie, that they had activities. I had to go pick them up from school because this, once the pre-K uh, finished at, at the workplace, I had to go put them in schools which have a schedule and you have to put... Um, uh, either pick them up or they have to go to our school aftercare, which also has a certain time limit. So it's if you go beyond that, it's like $10 every minute. So you better be there because you're going to like make like $100 to give to them. So, so then I had to make a circle of friends. So if I'm getting late or I'm driving back and I can. So I had a very good a circle of parents who would like stay there till I reached or they will just take them take my kids to their home and say, yes. just come pick, pick them up from my place, don't worry. And so my kids Thanks. were eating dinner at their place. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I made like this whole support, um, like um, of course my husband was always there. So that was the biggest perk for me. I, I was traveling quite a bit. I was going to meetings even internationally and uh, my husband was always there. The two kids were are very close to him and my mother-in-law was there. So there was cooking going on at home. So wow. I think it was a family support. So that's why I was able to do a lot more uh, during those years than uh, otherwise, like, you know, how Sophie, you were, uh, you had to be back home for your little girl. So, so I, yeah. I feel very blessed. I feel very lucky. And and it's going, it's gone on. Now that kids are teenagers, they're completely brats. I don't want to talk to them some days. And so again, my husband uh, goes and talks to them. I just can't handle them. <laughs> so. Now, now is when he can help, right? Now he can help. <laughs> so now they're all his, then they throw tantrums. He can go find them and figure it out. But <laughs> one of them will go to college next year. The other one just entered high school. So I'm, and so my daughter, so 
hopefully we won't see too much temper tantrums, but I'm not looking forward to it for the next four years. <laughs> so. Wonderful. Wonderful. Amy, now to you. Okay, well, I have always been very lucky in um, being able to find very affordable childcare and close to work. And most of the childcare places, the pre-K, et cetera, programs, you know, had extended days that went to at least 6 or 6.30. So it really allowed for great flexibility. And I also was very lucky in finding a wonderful nanny who um, uh, took care of the kids, um, you know, for much of the time. And she's, uh, she's still an absolute gem. Um, and uh, she's from Colombia, South America. And so, um, you know, the kids learned some Spanish from her. I got to practice my Spanish with her. She learned English from the kids. It was um, a very mutually beneficial and affordable relationship. And we're still very close, very close friends. And she's still very close to the kids. Um, what I find now that's difficult, uh, now that my older one is in uh, her last year of law school and my younger one is in her junior year of college, is not being so important to them anymore. <laughs> that, that, that stings a bit, I have to say. You know, I mean, for a while you're the be all and end all, um, and then you become, you know, not not quite as central to their lives. And that's kind of hard to take. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that in my experience, I don't have any children, but uh, my mother has become central to my life once again uh, in my age, in my age uh, because we share a home together now that she's 72 uh, and I'm 42. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. So I hope I hope the that all the same comes back to you um, because we're enjoying it thoroughly. Thank you. We look forward to that, Katie. <laughs> my son's living on the third floor of my house. Just want to say, and uh, luckily his his lovely wife is going to join us for dinner tonight. So it's you know things do get better. They go away. They come back. Amy, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, Katie, that's your mom is very, very lucky to, you know, to have you. And, and yeah, I, I think it's the company I miss more than anything. You know, it's wonderful to have uh, great people to interact with. All I have is a geriatric dog and a more geriatric cat. So. <laughs> well, so how are we doing on time here? Uh, we're approaching an hour. So, yeah. um, do we want to get a, a yeah? A, so I'll give. Uh, I think we're. I'm done with preparing dinner, so it's perfect timing. Um, let me tell you what I've done here. Hold on, while I wash my hands. Because um, <laughs> you know, cooking involves a lot of handling of food, which is a little bit problematic when you're trying to do video and, and things like that as well. So, the sauce is done. It's uh, eggplant, roasted pepper, roasted eggplant, roasted pepper, roasted celeriac, roasted peppers. Uh, what, did, what did I forget? Uh, what, do you have for, what do you have for protein, Annie? Uh, What's the protein in there? I have, a little, I have a little bit of cheese, and I also have um, in, my, in, in my bucatini, which I'll show you next. So the bucatini are really great because they retain water, and when you're trying to 
make a, a sauce with them, they keep the water inside of them. And so this sauce requires the starch of the pasta to be mixed with the cheese. So all I did was add butter, which I did add a lot of butter, but <laughs> we'll forgive ourselves tonight. Um, uh, Parmesan and pecorino and salt and pepper. And this is cacio e pepe. So we'll put that on the side. You're channeling, uh, Julia, you're channeling Julia Child with the butter. <laughs> yeah, it does call for butter, which, you know, I figure we kind of balance that out with a vegetarian, you know, dinner. Um, and then this is the new thing that I have never made before. I have no idea this is going to be any good. You'll have to hear from Katie later. This is arugula. The base is arugula, which is from the farmer's market. It's a really nutty, spicy salad. And then I have the roasted peppers on top and then this infused oil, which, which has hot peppers in it um, and maple syrup and soy sauce. Roasted figs, you got figs. Sorry, roasted yeah. figs. So there's sweet, there's salty, and there's spicy and nutty in one salad. So we will see how that goes. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and that's it. The celeriac has been cut up. So for those of you who care about celeriac, that's what it looks like. And the inside is really delicious. Um, this is, you know, a meat, a good meat substitute. You don't really need meat protein, Amy. You know that. <laughs> so, so Annie, the celeriac, is it starchy or is it more, um, how does it, is it like a potato or? Mm, no, it's sort of like, um, I'll try it. almost as pineapple. It's like a jicama, like jicama, you know. The, oh, it's, it's kind of has, it's, mm. it has grain, it's grainy mm. like pineapple. And you can eat the outside, so you don't actually have to peel it. In this case, I did peel it, mm -hmm. and um, because you have to mostly get the hair off of it, it is a very hairy, hairy little bugger. And you have to take this very scary implement <laughs> and, and and poke holes in it. So you actually you have to poke uh, little holes through the skin, 40, 40 pricks, and then you baste it with the olive oil and the salt. And that's really important because the olive oil gets into it. And Katie, what do you think? Yeah, so Viva, I think it's more like a yucca uh, for its like consistency. Yes. Yeah. But it has a very different flavor and it's really yummy. It's really yeah, we, we have something similar in the Indian, uh, like there's a vegetable like this. It's more starchy, but you can make it with like, you can just um, skittle it and put like spices in it. So it looks like that, but I didn't know if it tasted more like celery. Does it taste like celery root? That's why it's called celeriac. Um, it is celery root. Yeah. Mm, then I know it. I like it. Mm. And so yeah, you put it in the soups to flavor, right? You put yeah, it in but the in soups. France, they actually grate it and they yeah. put olive oil and salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. Where do the figs, where do your figs come from? They came from, actually, they're local figs. So they're, yeah. you know, we have really, we have a lot of um, farming in Rhode Island. In fact, the, the number of farms has increased in the past three years. So uh, these figs are organic and local. Wow. Yeah. The, the cool thing about figs is, you know, they don't come, the fruit does not come from a flower. It actually comes right from the branch. Yes. Um, so uh, they're 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 pretty special. I have a fig tree. Yeah. This How is does the fig tree grow? 
This is what we get for talking to scientists about food. So Amy, is your fig tree growing? Because I have one which I planted when I came here four years ago. I, we used to in California, we had this huge fig tree and that would like fruit so much. So I, I thought I'd grow one here, but it gets cold and then it goes away and then it comes back, but it's not fruiting at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you um, if you look at Italian neighborhoods that have lots of fig trees, they wrap them in burlap heavily in the winter. Um, they cut them back a little, wrap them in burlap. It looks like a mummy in the, the yard. So if you do that, that might help a lot. Um, okay. I, okay. I, I used to get a lot of figs. I think I cut the tree back too much. Um, uh, and uh, I haven't gotten any this year, but I'm expecting some next year. I'm not going to cut it back nearly as much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrap it right. up in the winter. <laughs> I <guess it's> that. <laughs> and uh, so on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up as a matter of fact. <laughs> and uh, we did not get to talk about protein structure and function, immunogenicity and tolerance, but we can keep that for the next uh, time we get together. Um, the way to follow this podcast for now is going to be through the Epivax uh, website. So we'll set up a link and we'll share it on the Epivax website. Uh, of course, we'll send out a version to you to review before we send it out to everyone. And what we'd like to propose is that um, we talk about immunogenicity and tolerance next time, next time, protein structure and function. Of course, there will be a lot of um, personal stories mixed in there. It's really been great today just to hear from all of you about your lives, about uh the pandemic, about um, vaccine mandates, um, and there's so much more to say. So I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. I can't thank the, the listeners enough for joining <laughs> us, and we'll uh, look forward to the next edition of this Recipes for Success. This thank was you, great everyone. fun. Thank this you. Great fun, and many thank thanks you. to Katie for setting it up <laughs> yes. and making it work. <laughs>